Welcome to Love Curvy Yoga, the podcast that's all about the intersection between yoga and body acceptance. Today, my guest is the delightful Elena Brower. I connected with Elena several years ago around work that we were both doing um, related in a lot of ways to body love and yoga, and I just continue to be so inspired by you, Elena, and your willingness Mm -hmm. to really show up for yoga um, on the mat, but as much as that off the mat um, in our relationships, both to ourselves and to other people. So I'm so excited to talk with you and share you with our listeners. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Gosh, it's such a treat to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to start off um, asking you what your relationship was like with your body when you were a young person. Um. It was actually unmemorable. Mm. I really don't remember much up until I lived in a suburb of um, New York City in Long Island. And I, I never had any issue or thought about food or um, any sort of disordered eating mm-hmm. until I arrived at Cornell. Mm. And literally, like, had not had not even given it one iota of a thought. I always had a really fast metabolism. And um, my mom cooked sometimes, but not a whole lot. She was working two jobs usually. And so I spent a lot of time eating frozen food, fast food, um, all kinds of, uh, you know, whatever was easy and not super sugary. She didn't have us in a lot of um, sugary food, but she... She definitely, you know, was not cooking like a maniac, mm-hmm. which is not a big deal. The things that she did cook were amazing. Right. What I'm getting at is that there are two lines of this, and I hope that you could actually just remind me about this. The second will be how that kind of eating in, impacts me now, you know, at 43. Okay. 20, 30 years later. Um, but when I got to Cornell and I saw... Um, a couple of my girlfriends who were, you know, getting to be my girlfriends and the way they were eating, they were not eating much. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I wonder what's going on there. And I started to eat the way they ate because they were so pretty. Mm-hmm. And then I started to actually lose weight. And that was in my freshman year. So instead of gaining in my freshman year, I lost freshman year and I became completely obsessed with um, all kinds of weird thoughts around food. I became obsessed with controlling my weight and figuring out how I could lose another pound by this day. It was just, it was a complete um, escape from what I didn't like about school, which was that it was very hard and it was, you know, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, which I I did up until fairly recently and finally at 43 have stopped doing that nonsense. Mm. Um, But that's how it went. And then I got, after that year, I was a counselor at camp. This is where it gets a little bit tragic here. But I was a counselor at camp after that year and I um, had kids who were 10 I myself was 17 at the time, almost 18, and I was eating not well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was eating one slice of cheese and two pieces of lettuce, and it was awful. Mm. 
What turned out was that when I was about 31, two, three, 20 years later, you know, 15, 20 years later, um, it came to pass that I bumped into some of my girls who were 10 at the time when I was a counselor and eating like this, you know, counting pieces of crackling oat bran. Yeah. And a couple of them had landed themselves in the hospital with eating disorders. Mm. And so, of course, I went to the, you know, the drama of, oh, my God, it's my fault. I did that to them. It's so terrible. You know, who knows what kind of influence I actually did have and what, what percentage of the pie my behavior played. But right. I can say for sure that I definitely dabbled with anorexia. I could never make myself throw up, so bulimia was never an option. I just didn't work. I didn't know how, and I didn't make it happen. Uh-huh. I know I really wanted to because I thought it was cool. Uh-huh. And my whole journey was more about control and being a part of the of the group rather than. I don't. I don't know that I ever had such a weird dysmorphic view of my body. I don't. I don't think I ever saw it so fat necessarily. I think I knew what I was doing, and I just wanted. I wanted attention, and I wanted to control something in my life. Right. That's what it felt like. What started to shift that for you later? Um, it was when the infirmary was picking up on my my weight I was getting really really skinny Uh, and the nurses at the infirmary had known me you know for seven years whatever since I was a little girl and I started going to that camp it was a sleepaway camp and they started weighing me (laughs) and to get weighed and then it was like okay I am really happy to be getting this attention somewhere in my body I remember the feeling of being like yeah yeah Uh set me aside and you know make me special um, that all came from a long, long, long history of wanting to be sick because my sister, who was younger than me, was born with several health issues, all of which, most of which have been remedi- uh, um, remediated, but uh, I saw that she, subconsciously, I saw that she was getting attention that I wasn't getting. Right. I have no blame whatsoever. I totally get that this was all how the deck was handed and my parents were quite young and my sister and I are super cool now. Um, but in pretending and being sick, special, you know, messed up in some way, I got the attention I wanted. Then it started to get annoying. And then I, I called up my girlfriend whom I'd been watching and I said, how did you stop doing this? I see that you're better now. Mm. She'd been much worse in high school and she was slowly getting better over time over that freshman year. And she said, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I could have babies. Oh. And yeah. then it hit me that I was like, okay, I know that I'm only 17, but I'm sure someday I'm going to want to have the option at least of having a child, and I think I'm good here. Wow. I'm going to stop counting crackling oat brands and eat and be cool with it. Mm-hmm. And when did yoga come into your life? Was it part during this process or was that later? That was later. I graduated from Cornell in 92, and I started taking a class in, like, 94 or so. And okay. I was smitten right away mm. um, with all of it, every aspect of it. The I think the main um, draw came a few years later when I met Cindy Lee, who ended up being my first 
teacher training. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how has yoga affected how you feel about your body? It's been a long journey. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I don't struggle with it anymore. Mm-hmm. I try and love it as much as I can. I think the biggest struggle is that I love my work and I love um, I love all the connections and I weirdly love tackling my email. And <laughs> I love getting it down to, you know, in the tens rather than the hundreds. And I love the connections that we make, as I said. Um, so the hardest part is actually getting myself to eat a real good solid meal. Yeah. And all that fast food as a kid led into you know, many years of me just eating green juice and drink and I mean, drinking green juice and eating dark chocolate and thinking that was kind of okay. Right. And my blood was completely imbalanced. Mm. I'm still waiting for some, some results to come in. I went to Mark Hyman and treated myself to the full workup with him at the ultra wellness center in Lenox, Massachusetts. And it was a big treat because it's, it's costly. Yeah. However, what I discovered was that all those years of poor eating as a kid and poor eating as an adult led to, you know, and poor eating, by the way, as an adult is, was pretty not, was not so bad. You know, it just wasn't enough. Right. And, um, all that led to blood sugar imbalance, yeast, um, um, leaky gut. Uh Yeah. Which is like, and he said pretty much 90% of humans in this country have it. All I've, I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on his plan for just a couple of weeks now. And all the symptoms that I've had for the past two years, I had a little eczema that's gone. Bad skin gone. Um, all kinds of... Um, I, I even had some stuff with an inner ear issue gone. So it's slowly fixing everything with um with food that's great supplements but it's so massive like i i am so grateful that i have the time and the wherewithal and even have saved the money to do this because it's once you have that kind of an overgrowth internally it it leads to mold and the mold leads straight to cancer Mm. everyone in my family has had cancer so i'm just working on minimizing my um, propensity. Well, that kind of segues into something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is the art of attention and that phrase and intention in your work. I'm curious about how you landed on that focus and what that means to you. I was um, working with a teacher who taught me about attention, Mm. um, led me through Evola's work, Gurdjieff's work, Orage, um, all sorts of esoteric Delubich, um, Egyptian scholars who are teaching only about, you know, present presence, mm-hmm. <laughs> paying attention. And when it came down to having to create, I knew I had to create something. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And the art of attention came to me in the vision. Wow. And that was it. It, that was that was it that was it was done deal and it's been i've helped been holding that name for many many years probably probably for more than 15 years 16 years and just waiting for it to become something wow yeah 
And so it sounds like that's been informing your teaching throughout all that time as well. In many ways. I mean, the, the biggest joke of all was that for so many years, the art of attention um, is my name, you know, is my sort of scene. And there I am smoking cigarettes, smoking pot, not eating enough good nourishing food and not really taking care of myself. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's just, it goes back to the, we teach best what we most need to learn mm-hmm. factor. And ultimately I, it was do or die. Once I started coaching with the Handel group, every, you know, my coaches were just like, hi, it's really cute that you have this awesome name and everything, but you need to actually live it. This was four years ago, and it took me a couple of years in to really get it mm-hmm. and, you know, really cut out all the silly vices and destruction that still lingered in my space. And now that you are bringing that in more in your life, how are you sharing that with yoga students? I'm curious about where you're seeing attention um, that can be kind of brought more to the surface, I guess, for people who are practicing. Um, it's funny because I, in my classes, most of what I do is just pick one small detail to focus on mm. and focus on it with all of my heart. And, and for them, it's, it, I'll take it to them in many different ways. I don't sort of belabor the issue. I'm not going to say it the same way a million different times. I'll try and say it a few times in a few different ways so that we all really can hear it, you know, because everyone hears things differently. Right. So uh, let me think of a recent example. Um, just recently arriving and um, recalling a time when your best, highest self was present. Mm. Very simple lately. Very, very simple, like old school and bringing that to each of the poses and um, the detail physically is the balls of the feet paying attention to the balls of the feet in poses like plank and lunge and even warrior poses and feeling how that relates to and this is based on my work with the teachers at katona yoga who are awesome Mm. um how the balls of the feet are like little lungs when you get the balls of the feet nice and springy and present your lungs uh have more volume and capacity and function better Mm. and so to combine the two of like okay your highest self right here right now finding your lungs getting your lungs to be so full and so functional stuff like that that just lights me up and keeping it to those things like very simple one emotional quality one physical attribute and the minute I start to muddy the waters with anything else I immediately get lost I from side to side I forget something (laughs) yeah the trick with me is to keep it super super simple and focused and that boundary lets everybody really have a great big expansion Mm -hmm. well and I feel like those skills of the embodied piece and the feeling piece together just translates so much for people off the mat I know that's been really true for me, I didn't come to yoga at all looking for any sense of body acceptance. I just was trying to change my body and avoid pain because I had chronic migraines at the time. Um, but that is what I found through that sort of precision of 
attention, I feel like it can really pull people into such a closer relationship yeah. with their body. So I love that simple way that you're simple, but not so easy always <laughs> way no. that you're offering that. Yeah. But it's, I think it's, I think it's once you drop into the, the few different um, pieces of it, it's kind of self-explanatory and you can get in there pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I was watching the video on your website about your journey um, in preparation for our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked a little bit there about this goal of making space inside of our minds and inside of our bodies. And I, that feels like it's a piece of what you're talking about mm-hmm. now. Um, for sure. What do you feel is possible with more spaciousness? Um, well, there's definitely, with regards to, particularly if you're a parent or if you're a partner, um, when I'm able to call on that space in my mind and, you know, my kid's still playing the piano and it's shoe time, you know, or he is, I don't know, just doing something that's not what he's supposed to be doing because we got to go. Usually it's in that territory. Um, instead of freaking out, I'm still learning every day how to make a little more space. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like when you look at a really beautiful Buddha statue, a face of a Buddha and you can feel your eyes widening. Yeah. It's like that. Mm. You know? Yeah. (laughs) It's like this corresponding kind of heart opening right along with it. Yeah. And it really does soften your mind. And my, my meditation teacher um, is Tom Knowles, T-H-O-M, mm. uh, K-N-O-L-E-S. He's amazing. And he teaches, one of his um, teachings were, was allow your mind to settle and spread. Hmm. And so it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't quite go with the space thing, but it does. If I let my mind yeah. settle, suddenly the, the what's above that, where it's settling, is open air. Right, yeah. And it's almost like the settling is like the planes or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So there's that. Yeah. If your students come to you or this kind of, and it becomes apparent in your community or something, um, they're wanting that deeper level of self or body acceptance. What, how, how do you kind of guide them in that process? Um, it happens a lot. I have mm-hmm. a, one of my close colleagues is, is a chronic bulimic for many, many years. And mm-hmm. I've watched her get coached by my coach. And um, a couple of things that I've seen. One is that I try and get the person to see who they're punishing because mm. they're not by punishing themselves through treating themselves in this way, not eating, eating too much, uh, purging, they're punishing somebody Yeah, and it's not necessarily themselves. So to get them to start to work on, um, work on that is something so valuable you get to see um you know you get to see what where the the genesis of this behavior is right go to that kind of deeper level yeah yeah then watching um 
watching my coach bring her through a process of actually, and I've done this for a couple of my mentees and coaches too, um, watching her make my friend photograph her food and then send it at the end of the day hmm. with a nice affirmation for each meal has been something so special. Bringing some love into the process. Yes. Wow. And what happens is, um, you know, instead of just shoving a bunch of whatever, cereal, and nobody's here so nobody saw, mm-hmm. there's a process of, oh, okay, I'm going to eat this so I have to take a picture of it. Okay, I'm going to take a picture with my phone and put it on Evernote. I'm going to post it later. Um, what's positive about this that I'm eating this right now? You know, that's like a long pause between some compulsive moment of shoving a bunch of food in my mouth and actually doing the deed. Right. So what I've watched is my friend actually um, gets super uh, connected to her food this way. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of cultivating that attention. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like people will say, oh, have more mindfulness around your food. And it's like, well, that's great, but how? How? how, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that gives a really practical how to make make it happen. Oh, that's wonderful. What about on the mat? Is there anything that translates there for this? I mean, every way that you can possibly love yourself, I think, is just the hugest deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you're on your mat, if you can focus, it's sort of similar to what I was talking about when we were just talking moments ago um, right. with regards to, um, you know, putting your attention on one thing in your body and one thing in your heart. Yes. That's kind of everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know it really I mean? is. Mm-hmm. And I like that the mat can kind of be a testing ground for that exactly. as well. Yeah. Um, how can people connect with your work these days? What's the best way? Um, ElenaBrower.com mm-hmm. is the best way. I'm now closing my studio in New York City and going to be teaching at various um, select places around the city. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Maintaining a lighter travel schedule so that I can be home because now that I'm learning how to eat, I need to cook. Right. <laughs> That'll be nice. That'll be a change of pace for you, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's slowly coming to pass. I mean, there's definitely still a trip a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing great. That's and good. And yeah, com is the best way. That's the best way. And I do a lot of posting on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so that's always a good place to catch what's going on currently. And the Facebook page is just a public page. There's a personal page where I'm over full, but if you go to facebook.com slash Elena Brower truth, um, you'll find my public page there. Great. And we will link all of that stuff for people so they can find it really quickly too. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation and for, um, sharing from your experience and your teaching I really appreciate it and I know our listeners are going to be excited to get to connect with you even more oh gosh anytime and um, those people who practice online at home 
probably the best way to um, get practices with me are on yogaglow.com. Great, yes. You have so many good ones on there. And um, we're also almost finished with our film. It's called On Meditation. And I'm going to be um, offering some meditation courses on Yoga Glow and otherwise because that seems to be um, my new favorite thing for the past couple of years. And now I'm, I can actually boast of a practice, which I never could before, so I never felt um, safe to teach it. Mm-hmm. So now I have, actually have a practice. You can check out oddmeditation.com, and then I'll be posting my meditation course on Yoga Glow sometime in the fall. That's wonderful, and congrats on the film almost being ready. Yeah, God. I can't wait to check it out. It's a long way, but it's beautiful. I think we're going to end up um, putting it on uh, on networks in some cool way. It'll be. It'll oh be... wow, that's great! Yeah. You really get the word out. Exactly. Nice. Well, thanks again for being here, Lena. You're welcome so much. Okay. You're welcome, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.